You're listening to Drones in America on Market Scale. Your host, Grant Guillot, leads the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Practice Team for the law firm of Adams & Reese. Every week, he will be chatting with leaders, influencers, and experts who are impacting the rapidly growing commercial drone industry in the United States to help us through the complex web of technology and policy. Michael, thank you so much for joining the program today. I'm excited to get you on the podcast. Um, I've been following the great work Airspace Link has been doing, and I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for coming aboard. Oh, thank you for having me. So just at the outset, why don't you tell us how you first became involved in the commercial drone industry? Yeah, well, I, I come from the geospatial industry, and uh, for the past decade and a half, I've been building solutions in different industries uh, using spatial technology, whether it be for logistics, transportation, precision agriculture, uh, retail, uh, federal use, um, in the Department of Defense. Uh, I've been involved in projects uh, solving problems using spatial technology. So that's my background. And uh, spent a lot of time in state and local government building permitting systems and asset management systems. Um, recently built out uh, indoor positioning and routing systems for uh, retailers like Target, um, where our old technology is in the Target app for routing customers and creating indoor GPS for them. So that's my background. I've always loved drones um, for five years now, um, and seeing uh, you know the idea of a say a package delivery. Um, you know, I kind of looked at man. There's a lot of friction points to be able to do something like that, and um, I decided to uh, get into uh, the drone space to help solve some of those problems, whether it be through software um, and, and technology, using spatial technology to help integrate drones into the national airspace, but also into our communities. And that's how I got into drones. And see, Michael, that's one of the things that. I want to note is that, you know, I go to several drone conferences and when I was at the commercial UAV expo, I happened to walk by Airspace Links Expo and you guys had Airspace Hub up and running, or I'm sorry, Air Hub up and running. Yeah. And the thing that really impressed me about it was it's like I was looking at a community map. You had parks, I think schools, um, other kinds of things on the ground when in the drone community, we are so used to focusing on what's in the sky, I often think what's on the ground is sometimes overlooked. And one of the neat things about Airspace Link and AirHub is that you guys target or focus exactly with what's going on in the ground. And that's such a critical part of the equation. Absolutely. If I ask uh, you or a city employee, where can I and can I drive? It's pretty straightforward. You know, there's rules and how to get through. But if you ask someone how, how to fly a drone through uh, controlled airspace, uh, they either have to be trained or licensed, and it's not very clear. Um, so we, we tackled the problem, and in, in, we call it a three-legged stool, and we can get into those legs. But one of the legs that you just described was uh, what we call ground-based risk. And do you have an awareness of what's happening on the ground as close to real time as possible? Is, is that where we built Air Hub for Government is to start to pull in the schools, the hospitals, the jails, uh, helipads, um, you know, 911 incidents that are happening live um, and pull that into a data set that then drone pilots, as they plan their flights, 
um, they see what's going on in the ground and we add some risk levels to that. Uh, so it's a bit for situational aware, awareness for pilots to have a better understanding of what's going on, not only in the air, but also on the ground. Right. And as an attorney, I can tell you one of the things that I'm always discussing with both end users and drone service providers is the fact that in the legal community, we often focus on the FAA regulations and for good reason. The FAA has the authority over the federal airspace. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the FAA actually has reserved a lot of authority for state and local governments to regulate drone use. They say so on their website and in fact sheets. So what's neat about what you guys have done with your platform is you've called attention to the fact that there are various forms of regulations we have to consider at one time. Well, you're right. So so I have a flight planned uh, next week. I'm going to Palm Springs. Um, so I went into air, air hub for pilots and I went in there and put in the information and come to find out it was in <laughs> restricted airspace and I had to do further coordination, but I got all those approvals, but I don't know what's going I don't know what the rules and regulations are in California in that County or in that city. And, and that's where we're trying to pull all that data together by teaming with the state and local governments is to pull in what's happening on the ground, but, uh, rules and regulations as well. And, and if they enact uh, a, a law, it's good for me to know uh, it's there, even though it might not apply or, or compete with the federal rules. At least I know as a pilot uh, that they do have a, a, a uh, let's say, an ordinance uh, in a certain area of the city because there's something going on. And, um, and that's important for me to know as a pilot. And, and that's our focus is in our kind of our sweet spot is that integration with the this state and local governments. Now, I'm a pilot and I don't necessarily want a bunch of ordinances everywhere. everywhere. So that is where our tool also does an assessment of their communities and then makes recommendations. And honestly, it does an impact statement for every rule or regulation that goes into the system. It, it gives an impact statement to that community. Hey, you're impacting this many pilots or this much area or or reducing economic development because you've reduced uh, this type of infrastructure usage. So there's a lot there. <laughs> Well, no, exactly. And one of the things I wanted to say is in working with drone pilot networks, this is a very real concern. You know, we have pilots in all 50 states. Even when you cross county lines, you all of a sudden are faced with a new set of ordinances and regulations. So it's great to have something like AirHub that's in place to address that very issue. Now, one of the other things I wanted to speak about was how the fact that so much of the United States is living relatively close to an airport and how you guys at airspace link how you've worked with the faa to kind of ease drone restrictions when flying near an airport would you talk a little bit about that yeah so we realized uh, we used our system uh, a, a year ago to kind of say well how many people are in controlled airspace and are un, under lance area and it ended up being 143 million people is at least from our estimates and again that's probably off uh, on some error of where people actually live um, but that's a that's a majority or, or just under half of the population. So we did uh, we applied to be a land supplier uh, with the FAA uh, exactly a year ago, and we hunkered down for ten months and built out the lance capability. And um, we got approved, and we got approved for uh, further coordination, recreational pilots, and Part 107 pilots, um, so that we could uh, actually. A couple of reasons. One is to provide pilots a way to authorize flights near airports, where it used to take 60 to 180 days. It's now instantaneous, and there's ways for them to do further coordination for complex flights. 
uh, in these areas as well. So, so we went after that to have to add that capability to our platform on top of the ground-based risk data. So combined, I can get one of the safest flights possible by understanding uh, getting authorized and having integration with the FAA data, but also with the local government data as well. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you guys have gotten a lot of great press lately. There's no shortage of press for the great things that Airspace Link is doing. You know, I've seen you guys were featured in Michigan Matters. Um, I saw you were present at the Detroit Mobility Meetup and as well as being featured in the Detroit Free Press. What do you think is the reason for the community-wide and even nationwide interest in what you guys are doing? Yeah, well... One, being local in, in Detroit uh, helps with some of the local press. Um, but, we, you know, we decided to put our headquarters in here. Um, but then we, since we're local, it's easy to go and start to test our product. And, and we did. We landed um, uh, City of Taylor. And then the City of Taylor uh, moved us up to their regional council of government, which was Aerotropolis. And uh, they ended up um, engaging with us and, and signing a contract with us that includes uh, four cities, two airports, and two counties. Uh, and it's just kind of moving from there. We'll be picking up several more cities as well um, to start to pull in that data and then share that ground-based risk data out to the drone committee, uh, community through um, AirHub for Pilots, which is a Lance tool. So I can get Lance authorization, but also I know what's happening on the ground. And the goal is to also start to invite drone services into these communities. So our system is acting the opposite. A lot of people think is, hey, they're blocking drone flights. It's actually going the other way where these communities are inviting drone service companies into their communities to try to do more complex types of drone flights. Now that this, the cities and counties are on board, uh, they're willing to you know, offer up uh, testing and, and beyond visual line of sight flights and, and, and actually even into manufacturing. So how do we bring drone companies to these locations to have the infrastructure or smart city infrastructure to start to do more complex types of flights? And that's happening throughout the U.S. You know, so we just picked up Ontario, California, and some other uh, cities uh, throughout the U.S. that are that are uh, that are signing up under under our platform. Well, congratulations on that. That's fantastic. And. In seeing these communities embrace drone use and actually promote drone use, it raises an interesting question. So much of what happens with commercial drone use in the United States is heavily dependent upon public acceptance and perception of drones. So based on what you're telling me, it seems like in communities like Detroit and maybe Ontario, California, that there is a greater acceptance or an increasing acceptance of drones. What factors do you think are causing these communities to embrace drones at a greater rate than perhaps some other places in the United States? Um, a couple parts. Their first reaction to the drone industry is, is, hey, you know, security and privacy, and they throw up their guard up if they don't have an understanding. It's an educational process. And then second is they are used to, the communities are used to having an asset management system or a tool to understand where the street center lines, parcel lines, utility lines, there's a mapping system or some way an asset management system in place. And there isn't one for these communities when someone walks in and said, hey, there's a drone flying over my house. They don't know what to say or do. It's a federal problem, but it's also their problem because they're the ones getting the complaints. So our first reaction is, hey, here's a system to at least understand what are the federal rules even within our community? 
it's good to understand how high you can fly and, and where based on just the federal data. So we combine that with the local government data and all of a sudden it flips to, well, how can we leverage, how can we use this system for our own 911 systems? Can we have a drone in a box that on a 911 call, the, the, the uh, drones go out and survey, survey ahead of time uh, as we head out to a, an accident or we use drones for our own use. So that's, that's starting to take off. And then, um, it's getting into package delivery. Like how, how can we invite these large companies into our communities? Um, and, and actually opt them. It's almost like the cities are opting in the community to say, Hey, we're willing to do uh, more complex flights. Uh, if we have a tool to communicate what's happening on the ground, like maybe we're having a parade and <laughs> it would be nice to create an advisory that there's some, there's high density of people and, and fly those drones around those locations uh, for package delivery and stuff like that. So they see it as a connected smart city infrastructure that they can offer uh, businesses. One of the things you mentioned was the involvement of local and state government and how that ties into enforcing drone regulations that are even those that are set by the Federal Aviation Administration. I kind of want to segue here into remote ID, mm-hmm. of course, which the NPRM came out on December 31st. And well, let me ask, what was your initial impression upon reading it? Yeah, so this is a touchy subject all over the place. Um, so my first reaction was, oh, man, we, we kind of already built a system similar to this um, <laughs> in the sense of, uh, you know, we're already have the Lance authorization process. I'm already happening to go in there and authorize. I'm giving my personal information already. Uh, but you don't know if I actually followed through on it. So we stopped there. That's as a company, we do what the FAA has requested us to build out. But the next natural step to that is, well, how do you enforce it? And that's what the cities and communities keep saying is, well, it's great that, you know, now we have these roads, you know, we have the FA rules and we have the local government advisories and what's happening on the ground and we have these corridors, but how do we enforce, how do we know if that drone actually flew where it said it was authorized to fly? And that is the missing link is remote ID. Whether to me, it's almost like a poor man's uh, air traffic control system because latency of internet. And, but I feel like if internet's probably one of the easiest ways just to get connection, even if, if there's lag, to understand where other pilots are. And, and it's truly, you know, as a recreational flyer, uh, you know, yes, it's a bummer that we have to uh, get authorization and things like that. But the goal is we want to make this so smooth that you don't even know it, it's, it's happening and, and you have these data connections and, and it just happens for you. And, the, and you know, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think what I'm trying to say here is that we are for it to a certain point in the sense of if we want to be able to have package delivery or we want to have start to have urban air mobility with air taxis, we have to solve the problem at 400 feet and below with smaller drones and, and part 107 pilots to start to introduce, you know, more complex flights and beyond visual line of sight flights and then introduce urban air mobility. So we're dealing with trying to solve a small problem with remote ID, but it's actually helping solve problems that are, for more complex flights that are coming five years down the road. And, um, it, but we want to make sure everyone's happy. And I think we all have to give and uh, get a little bit to uh, open up the airspace. Absolutely. And you brought up 
what we refer to as advanced operations, how so much of making commercial drone use scalable is dependent upon being able to fly beyond the line of sight, fly more than one at a time, especially if you're delivering goods by drones. That's critical. So when I was asking about the interplay between federal and state and local government, the remote ID kind of puts the onus on local and well, basically local governments to enforce the regulations or help enforce remote ID simply because they're the ones, local government officers are going to be the first ones to hear complaints. And you're absolutely right. There's a huge education component to that. A lot of people living in these communities still don't even really know what drones are. You know, I was on a plane on the way to the commercial UAV expo last summer and or last fall. And the movie that was playing was the most recent Spider-Man movie. Who was the villain in the movie? Well, it was Jake Gyllenhaal. But what did Jake Gyllenhaal use to, to bring humanity down yeah. to its knees? Drones. Right. Evil drones. Drones were destroying everything. And it wasn't until the drones went away that the world was saved. You know, it's such a tiresome story, but it's one that we in the commercial drone industry are dealing with daily and daily. It's Gatwick. It's killing commanders, you know, in foreign countries. It's weird alien drones that are showing up in Nebraska and Colorado. It's just strange kinds of, of things. You know, what in your opinion can we do as an industry to combat this negative narrative that's being put um, out there? I think that... You know, drones for good is a great campaign. Things like that. Well, you know, for us, we're trying to hit local. So here in Detroit area, my goal is to reach out to, again, you know, in certain ways, manage how I say this on uh, in the public is like an alphabet wing. And hey, we've set up this infrastructure. The city is embracing it. Um, we'd love to do Meals on Wheels. Um, you know, uh, d- deliveries in ways that people are. are or, or introduce them to the technology or get them used to it before it becomes more transactional. Um, uh, so we're gleaners is another place that we're looking at doing those types of things. Um, to, you know, uh, defibri- defibrillator drop off medicine, things like that. I think it's important that we introduce it in a fun way. Uh, uses of drones. I, I have a feeling, you know, it's relevant uh, to the times is the coronavirus. Uh, you know, at some point it could be, required that we need drones uh, to get goods around because of interactions again this is extreme but this is goes around through my head a little bit as if i want to get medicine right now i might not want to go to the doctors or the pharmacy it would be nice to be able to get more complex drone use within communities to do drop-offs versus humor you know this is an extreme case but these are the types of things that will help help with the drone industry Well, absolutely. And there's so much, you know, for lack of a better word, um, hysteria may be on the extreme side because coronavirus is a serious threat. But you're absolutely right. We have no idea what we will be facing in terms of sicknesses and illnesses. And it definitely isn't necessarily always the best idea to send a sick person into the quote unquote line of fire um, into a place where a bunch of other infected individuals are. That is certainly a place Mm -hmm. where companies like Zipline and other groups that deliver goods, you know, can can definitely uh, come in handy. So, So I absolutely agree with you on that. Now, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is, well, I want to congratulate you. TechCrunch reported that Airspace Link raised an additional $3 million on top of its initial $1 million pre-seed funding. You. So congratulations on that. Um, there, 
investors have a lot of drone companies to choose from right now and the fact that so many chose you guys is a great indication of what they think of your company and what airspace link can do what do you think is the cause of the interest in the fundraising uh, that airspace I, I link's been able approach, to obtain um, as a uh, we consider ourselves an asset management uh, company a um or an infrastructure company even though it's it's all um virtual and and mapping systems and and there's an authorization uh play there and we're not trying necessarily to get into air traffic control or airspace deconfliction we we're staying very focused on uh you know to relate to to automotive is we're, we're helping build the roads and define the roads and the risk and it's almost like a city planner um we're planning out the what is the best areas and 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 adding probabilities to you know, if a drone was to fall out of the sky and hit someone, what, what are the odds of it hitting someone based on population densities and and in uh, certain data? So we see ourselves and we're selling our product as that, as an asset management system that supports the drone industry. And it's very different than a investing in a drone company that sells drones and sells software for imagery and, and things like that, because there's, there's a lot of competition there. It's a lot of dr- companies out there. And we approach it as hey, every asset, every infrastructure has an asset management system. And uh, if we don't have one, how do you manage it and keep it up to date and all of those tools? And, and that's how we approach the market um, very differently. Right. And I go back to walking past all the various companies that had some impressive displays up at Commercial UAV Expo and seeing that you guys had mapped out a specific community. You know, people like seeing their cities on maps. They, they like seeing parks and uh, concert halls and schools on maps mapped out. So I think you guys are solid in terms of being able to go to a local government agency and say, hey, I can map all this out and we can put you on the same grid as drones so we can guarantee safe commercial drone use Thank within you. your yep. community. And, and, so hats off to you guys for that. Just to clarify too, so we, we combine their data with other data sources such as uh, traffic counts and um, they're just an ingredient in the whole process. But, um, but they also, we do allow drone pilots to, give them some data to understand well well why is the risk so high well it's a combination of it's a helipad a helicopter and it's high density housing right here and high track so we're we're giving some feedback loop to the to the drone pilots as well so that they just don't say hey don't avoid this area we're trying to give them some context to to why um or be prepared if you're going to fly over these are the risks So, Michael, in closing, I want to focus on something probably far more important than any of the things we've talked about, and that's your history as competing in the decathlon for the Eastern Michigan University track and field team. Uh, so do I, you I still, do. are you still uh, able you know, to get out to the track every now and then? He's an eighth grader on the track team, but um, yeah, I have a history of uh, doing well in track and field um, in high school and you know, hold, still hold some records and ended up uh, doing decathlon in college. And, and now a lot of my enjoyment is you know, CrossFit and uh, watching my son do track and field. So uh, I definitely uh, have a competitive edge or, or spirit. Um, and uh, it's interesting because um, I think about my life around the decathlon. It was 10 events. I want to do all 10 events, shot put, discus, javelin, high jump, pole vault. And I learned them all. I became very good at them all. But um and I, I see that with the technology I've taken 
uh, geospatial technology and apply that same thing to different industries um, and just trying trying to, to learn it all in each industry and, and the drone industry is the next big challenge and uh, that's what we're putting all our horsepower into now. Well, Michael, it's clear that your competitive spirit and your knowledge of technology and your willingness to embrace technological innovation has taken you far and it'll continue to take you in airspe- oh, airspace link far. It. So thank you so much for joining the program.